Hello and welcome to Landings with a Flare, the podcast where we supplement and support flight training. This is Captain Teresa. This episode will be a pilot ground school lesson in the format of a guided discussion. This conversation was recorded on the audio platform called Clubhouse. You will likely hear some variation in audio quality as speakers tune in from around the world. Many of our ground school lessons include handouts, which you can find along with other resources in the podcast show notes. They are also on our website, landingswithaflare.com. We hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversations. Welcome aboard. So what is the basic, basic radio call format that a flight instructor might teach to a new student? I will look for slow microphone flashes. Uh, I'm not a pilot. I haven't flown in a while, but this is just what I know from Axing Aircraft. Basic format would be state who you are, address who you're, you know, address the person that you're calling, and state where you are, and then state your intentions. Who, who, where, what? Does anyone else have any other comments or memory aids? Yeah, have a clear voice, not too fast, not too slow. 100 words a minute is ideal. And yeah, stick to the rules and do not talk like uh, with normal grammar, etc. except if, if it is really needed. But uh, otherwise, really stick to it. It's not a normal language. Yes. So keep it short and concise. April, do you have tips and comments? Yes. Dealing with a lot of VFR aircraft, you want to keep it simple and you want to just remember who you are, what you are, meaning your aircraft type, and who you are was your aircraft call sign, who you are, what you are, where you are, stating where your present position is, where are you going or what do you want and what is your request? If you remember those basic things, it's easy to start the line of communication. Anything after that, if you want to sound conversational just because you're not experienced on the radio, that is perfectly fine. But as long as you state who you are, what you are is kind of important, is is important just so that we can understand the performance of the aircraft in which you're working with, so that we can determine the type of instructions or our expectations of what type of instructions to give or what you can handle. And then where you are just so we can identify where you are in airspace and what would you like if you just what do you want what's going on what's happening how you doing what you talking to me for <laughs> you know and if you think of it that way it, it makes it so much easier just to get whatever you need done and there you go you heard it straight from an air traffic controller enrique go right ahead no i just would like to add that um, the watch you are part of the radio call it's not ikl required so that goes from each and authority to, to authority. Ah, so in the United States, we say either the type of aircraft or the manufacturer name for most general aviation. Unless you are part of a larger operation, like, for example, an airline. Yeah, um, so the aircraft type is always a four-digit numbers and, and letters. But I think you were, Captain Teresa, you were talking about um, the call sign, including aircraft type. That is a specialty with FAA. And it's not ICAO standard. Ah, so what would an example be for ICAO? So uh, it would be normal call sign, either like an airline call sign or the tail sign. And with the tail sign, there are also uh, exceptions to the rule. 
that are uh, ICAO. So, for example, if you, if you have um, a British tail sign with golf, then dash, Sarah, 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 the controller can uh, reduce the, uh, the call sign to golf, Sierra, Sierra. So he can only use the country sign plus the last two digits of the uh, tail sign. Ah, let's have Anima shed some light on this and then we'll go to Johnny. I just want to add in here as far as ICAO phraseology is concerned, unless you are a heavy aircraft, just like 747-777, you don't need to tell uh, what kind of aircraft you are uh, across the globe. That's what I have experience on. And also that is all only needed to be mentioned the first time you are establishing contact with a controller. So first time you'll tell that you are a heavy, it's understood from on, on their part that uh, you don't have to mention every time they call sign with heavy. Uh, secondly, as Captain Philip just mentioned, that's the way it's practiced all over the Southeast Asia as well. So, so tail number for India is Victor Tango and then uh, you can have Alpha Bravo Charlie. So on the first contact, you will uh, say Victor Tango Alpha Bravo Charlie and then ATC will just say Victor Bravo Charlie. And uh, that's for the for rest of the conversation with the controller. And as you switch the control, first time again, you follow the same process and just makes the life easier for both of them. Wow. So I love how we have this international conversation going. I see all these microphones flashing. I'm going to try to do justice to it. I would like to say that I just learned that. That's very interesting. I love learning. And I will say, though, I do want to bring up a good point because I was going to bring this up later. Pilots should not shorten their full call sign until after air traffic control shortens it because sometimes they don't want to because there might be another plane with a confusing call sign. A comment and then a question for Philip and Captain Animes as well. So talking about what's required versus good practice, and it's you know different across the board, right? I have experience flying both international and domestic, and you know Philip is right. There's I hadn't uh, had much of an opportunity to fly GA or or those type of things in Europe and Asia, but I would uh, venture to say a lot of what Philip is talking about is a lot of commercial traffic, maybe. And my question for Philip: Are you speaking? more towards commercial type flights where, you know, it's like uh, Captain Animus said, big jets, heavy, heavy iron, triple seven, seven, four sevens, or are we talking about maybe a Cessna or Bonanza not um, saying what type of aircraft they are? Well, I'm not dividing it into commercial or not commercial. I'm dividing it into the flight rules, visual and instrument flight rules. And with this visual flight rules, um, if you are not doing border crossing, for example, there might be no ATC flight plans in the back office of the ATC. So therefore, you have to report your aircraft type, and the aircraft type is always a four-digit code. And that also includes the subtypes, obviously. So it's not Boeing 777, it must be Boeing 77 Whiskey for the 300 extended range. The other thing is, with the IFR traffic, they only have to use the suffix heavy or super on the initial call, except for oceanic traffic and except in the U.S. where you have to use it on every transmission. Wow. So in the United States, if we were flying a Cessna 172, we would say Skyhawk 12345. And then if air traffic control shortened it, we could say Skyhawk 345. So Philip, what would you say for a VFR once Cessna 172? 
I believe it says uh, Charlie 172. That's the correct call sign. Normally, you use the initial call, but that's not ICAO. So you would chime in and say station, call sign. And then we have our flight from to Cessna 172 to Solson board. And also the rest current altitude uh, where you are, etc. Because they have to somehow write themselves some kind of stripe. Also, if you are in the flight following, then they know where you are, where you want to go. And also where you came from is like, April, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's also in case of emergency operations. But you can also fly, actually, if you are flying with a 777 VFR, you have to say Boeing 77 Whiskey. So it doesn't matter of the size. It's just VFR or IFR traffic. Very interesting. Let's go to Enrique, and then I'll look for some more microphone flashes. I just would like to add something that Captain Animesh and Captain Philip just said about the, the heavy and super call signs. Um, the super call sign, only it's only used by A380s. It's not even used by, for example, the Antonov AN-225, even though it's a larger aircraft. It's a special call sign that was created by ICAO to designate the A380s. The heavy call sign is used for any aircraft, I believe, weighing above 136 metric tons. I don't know how much is that in pounds, but just to just to clarify a little bit of that. And I believe I saw Manuela's mic flashing. Okay, wonderful. Let's go to Manuela. You can just uh, establish two-way radio communication first, and then afterwards you can follow the procedures. But also, if there are if the, if there is a busy airport, and it can happen that two aircraft have two equal three letters at the end, then the air traffic controller will give you a call sign for a short period of time. So, for example, you might be able to have Golf, Romeo, Echo, Delta, India. Then the air traffic controller can change it into. 22 Delta Echo, and that will be your call sign for probably you know, 30 minutes or whatever they need. And after that, they will return to you saying that revert to flight plan call sign, which can be the previous one you had, your actual call sign. Wow. So in the United States, the Aeronautical Information Manual says that controllers can also change call signs if they are confusing. However, that's quite rare. Let's go to April, our air traffic controller. So we're trained in our 7110.65, which is our air traffic control manual. Don't ask me what letter we're on. I don't remember. (laughs) Um, But we are instructed if there are similar sounding call signs on our frequency, we must make that announcement. So you'll say, Center sounding call signs, Exojet 501 and Exojet 501, both on frequency. Because there, it's either going to be the numbers are exactly the same, but like the identifier or the, the company identifier might be different, or it's similar sounding, whether it's the first couple of numbers are similar or the, the company sounds similar and the numbers are a little different, but you want to state Hey, similar sounding call signs and then state what those two call signs are. So now it brings the attention to those pilots. And then for further transmissions, as long as both of those aircraft are on or those call signs are on your frequency, you will say something along the lines, Exejet 501 Exejet, Exojet 501 Exojet, 
I say this because I literally just had this um, six days ago happen to me. Both companies, same exact numbers. And Exojet and Exejet both sound the same in itself now at the 501 there. So we will say the call sign and then repeat the actual company or if it's American. American 93 American. American uh, 1515 American like that. Great point. And I really appreciate it when I'm flying and air traffic controllers tell me, oh, heads up, you know, there is another aircraft with a similar call sign on frequency. Okay. So along those lines, this pertains mostly to the United States, but it's a common error. I just wanted to put that out there really quickly. Sometimes when pilots in the United States do not say what type of aircraft they're flying, like Skyhawk 12345, the controller will say November 12345 because in the United States, the planes start with an N in front for the registration. And that just means the controller doesn't know what type it is. Now, when you hear pilots saying that, it sounds kind of, it doesn't sound the way it should because the pilots should always know what kind of plane they're flying. So that is just a common error I wanted to put out there. Okay, let's talk now about pronunciation. So who would like to give an example of how to say a heading properly? Do you say we're going to turn to 240 degrees or what do you say? Yeah, for example, what you were saying at 240, you say it at 10 uh, heading 240 degrees. Yeah, exactly. Each digit is separate. Now we're going to already get into something controversial because I know that there's a difference between the FAA and ICAO, but let's say it anyway. How would you say a radio frequency? Okay, right. Um, so in Europe, uh, we say maybe um, tune in uh, frequency 124.6. 124.6. Good. Because every digit was separate. So now what's the difference with the FAA and the United States? What do we say instead of decimal? So we say... 119.4, that's the best controller, but if he's really laid back, he can say 19.4 or 0.4. So here in the United States, they actually get to cut it down a lot. Ah, so in the Aeronautical Information Manual, the only time it says a controller can shorten it is when it's a ground control frequency, because most of the frequencies start with one, two, one, and then it's just a question of what the number is after the point or the decimal. So, but that's true. In the United States, we say point. In other countries, you say, is it, I believe it's decimal, not just decimal, if I'm not mistaken. But we always are supposed to say each digit one at a time, although we would all know that pilots use slang and sometimes shorten it. Altitudes. Let's do a low altitude, something that's below 10,000 feet. I'll look for a microphone flash if someone can give us an example. Oh, if we're talking about altitude, uh, let's say we're talking about 9,500. So we're going to call it all together like that, 9,500 feet. Yes. So you say the thousands and then the hundred. You do not say 9,500. You say 9,500. Beautiful. Actually, I have to say that's not correct because it's niner thousand without the TH and then 500. Oh, that is so true. So, so true. We're going to talk. I think we're going to go into numbers here in just a moment. 
Okay, how do you say 10,000, Mo? Yeah, more than 10,000 before flight levels, we say like 1, 3, 13,000 or 1, 0, 10,000 usually. Ah, yes. Okay, so 1, 0, 1,000 is correct or 1, 3,000. However, that is a common slang, which I believe often can increase safety. So it's not necessarily wrong. Pilots, instead of saying 1, 0, 1,000, which is correct, will say 1, 0, 10,000 as well. They'll add that extra 10 in or 1, 2, 12,000 just to really make it clear. I just want to go back a little bit to to the 9,500 situation where we wouldn't say 9,500 or 9,500. And that's pretty much because some cultures around the world, we don't count things in hundreds. So, for example, for a Brazilian, if you, if you say 9,500 in Portuguese, that, that makes us think a little bit harder because we don't count things in hundreds. In that way, we we say 9,500. So true, so true. Yeah, it's always important to use the words feet, flight level, meters, because there are differences. So, so true. And speaking of differences, I know that there are differences here. We have something in different countries called the transition level. There is a certain point in the United States, it's at 18,000 feet, where we, instead of saying an altitude like one, two, twelve, or like one, seven thousand, we now go to flight levels. So in the United States, if you're at 19,000 feet, we'll do the United States first and then we'll talk about other countries. If you're at 19,000 feet, how do you say that? You're above 18. Right, so um, if you're above 18,000 feet, you just go like uh, flight level 1900. Exactly. So then that's how you say it. But now in other countries, most of you, if I'm not mistaken, would consider 18,000 feet to be pretty high for a transition level. What are some of the transition altitudes in other countries, Philip? Yeah, that's totally correct, Teresa. And that's also often not in accordance with the checklists because you have to delay them pretty long. But over in uh, countries, it really varies also on to, to the terrain. Uh, you may often have flight level 7080 to be the first transition level. Wonderful. And Enrique? So here in Brazil, it depends on your area chart, especially if you're talking about your SID or your star, there is the the transition altitude and then the transition level where you should stop using QE, which is the altimeter setting for, for flight levels, to QNH, which is your local altimeter setting. Yes, yes. That brings up another point, which is how important are altimeter settings to read back on the radio? In the United States, it's not one of the important numbers to read back. It's not like a heading or an altitude or an airspeed. It's just an altimeter setting. And so we can just say Roger. But who would like to speak to that in other countries? Um, Ultimate transmissions are always to be read back. Same for me. And I also saw Frankie's microphone flashing. I'm monitoring the bottom of the room. Oh, thank you, Enrique. I really appreciate it. Air Frankie, I'm so sorry I missed your microphone flash. Go right ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Captain. Uh, I think in South Africa is the same. You have to read it back to the ATC. 
uh, compulsory stuff to read back. Excellent. And so why is that? Well, I'm not sure if it's IKO, but in Ireland, for example, we have transition altitude and it can be, you know, 5,000 feet in Ireland until 5,000 feet, you are going to use QNH 1-0, whatever is at that moment. However, when you reach transition, then you have to switch to flight level, which means you need to have the standard one, which is 1-0-1-3. So you kind of have to be careful with that because, you know, your altitude, of course, it will change from standard to one that the airport has at that moment. So if you don't change and you, you do an approach with a standard, but you might be low or high, you get in trouble. Great point. It's just more important in countries where there's a lower transition level, but for obvious reasons. Yeah, I think also like here in the United States, so we start flight levels from 18,000 feet, which is class alpha, air, A airspace, which is IFR. So the big difference is when you transition to transition level and you use pressure altitude 29902 standard, is very important because you are being vertically separated from other aircrafts by ATC. And this may ensures that ATC has the good separation between you and the other aircraft and you maintain that altitude. Ah, some good points there. Let's go to, oh gosh, so many microphone flashes. Okay, April, Enrique, Johnny, I believe that was the order I saw that. Thank you. I have a quick question. I'm not sure about um, VFR, when I say VFR, meaning like um, this PPL um, aircraft, but in the commercial world, is there a checklist that includes checking the altimeter at a certain point, maybe when you're starting your descents, or is there a part of you guys' checklist? That depends on the operator and on the pilot. It's not mandated by the government, but I would say that it's common uh, in most companies that, that transition through altitudes. I just would like to add a couple of things. So when you are dealing with the altimeter settings, considering hectopascals, that, that can be precisely measured. So you would have, for example, 1015 decimal 8, However, the decimal, it's disregarded and you always round that to the lowest number. So, for example, in, in this example, 1015.8, you would, you would round that to 1015. And the reason behind that is that's preferable for you to be high um, than lower. The other thing I would like to add is that the VFR limit here in Brazil, it's 14,500 feet. So above that, you cannot have any VFR flight. Although class alpha airspace here in Brazil, it's considered above 24,000 feet, above flight level 240. So between 15,000 and 24,000, you could be pretty much in any airspace, probably a Golf, a Charlie, or a Delta class. Wow. I find that the levels of airspace is probably one of the biggest international differences. Just to clarify, if 1013 hectopascals is considered to be standard pressure for international ICAO, what is that in inches of mercury for the United States? 29.92? Yep, 29.92. Uh, to be precise, it's 1013.25. Uh, 
Ah, good point. Good point. Okay, Johnny, I know you have lots of international experience. I appreciate your patience because I know you have a lot to add. But really, the, the, the question for the discussion that I want to make sure we're clear on is, are we in agreement that there is a difference between a transition altitude and a transition level? Whoa, Johnny, go ahead and enlighten us. I want to make sure we're all in agreement before I say anything and get in, into a contradiction. Because in places like uh, in Europe and Asia and things like that, Philip and, and Captain Animesh, everyone, you know, chime in. You know, they're, they're, everyone's talking about, you know, when we go standard, that's at your transition altitude, as Manuela so elegantly pointed out. At your transition altitude, you go standard, whether it's 1,013.25 or 2,992. But at your transition level is when you start referring to flight levels versus anything else. Yeah, that's totally correct what Johnny said. Those are two different things. When you climb, you use the transition level, and when you descend, you use the transition altitude. I can confirm that. So in the transition altitude, sometimes can be a set altitude, for example, 5,000 feet, or actually can be changed by ATC during the day. So when you climb out, you will have a your altimeter QNH, which can be 1009. However, when you reach the transition, al- the transition altitude, you're going climbing. So you are going to change to flight level, transition altitude. And in the middle, you have something called transition layer, layer or layer. Sorry, my pronunciation. And that's the process for changing the altimeters. In Europe, we also have, uh, especially airlines, climbing out, you will change to flight level, which is the standard 1013. However, on the standby altimeter, you will have the QNH of whatever airport you're flying in or contact you have, the frequency. If they have a, a QNH, they will give you a, the QNH. So every time you even you fly 1013, but sometimes you have to change QNH in the basic altimeter because in case you have an emergency, then you will know quickly your procedures. And as a standby, it's always good to have. Wow. And QNH stands for quotient of nautical height, which is our altitude and mean sea level. So now another difference between Europe and the United States, or not Europe, I'm sorry, pretty much all of ICAO, the whole world, and the United States, from what I gather, and I'm kind of asking more than telling, is how abbreviated certain radio calls would be. We were talking about this a little bit with the appropriateness of Roger and Wilco earlier. So in the United States, we say that verbs are bad. Instead of saying climb and maintain 3,500, it's better just to get rid of the verbs climb and maintain and just stick with the numbers 3,500. And we like brevity and being short. But is that the recommended procedure in other countries? Yeah, climb and maintain is FAA, but we would say climb and then altitude, flight level. And the two, uh, you often hear it also climb to 5,000 feet. This is actually wrong because it can also mean 25,000 feet. So uh, normally it's without climb too, but you hear it pretty often all over the world. Yeah, it's a simple climb and that's it. But if, if you are flying abroad and that's uh, how they're doing it, like in the US, the proper readback would be to include and maintain. So interesting. So actually, but just how about uh, how wordy it is? For example... If a pilot is getting cleared for an instrument approach, they might be told, 
you are five miles outside of the final approach fix. Turn left to a heading of 310 for approach course intercept. Maintain 3,000 feet until established, cleared for the ILS 24 approach. That's a really long radio call. And in the United States, we would just read back the numbers and the clearance. We would just say uh, the heading, 310, the altitude, 3,000, and then the clearance cleared for the approach. It, how common is that? Let's go to Johnny. Man, that is, um, yeah, I think you know, for us U.S.-based pilots or you're training in the U.S. our whole time, it's very difficult for us to sometimes transition flying international because we're so used to shortening things up and, and the person on the other end of the radio transmission has a clear understanding of what you're saying or they can interpret because that is their primary language. I'll take, for, for instance, uh, Mika can probably attest to this. I was flying in South Korea and if I tried to shorten something up, with the expectation that ATC was going to understand me or infer what I was trying to say with my brevity, I was incorrect. And it is very standard practice that you stay within the rules, IKO rules, by making your transmission whole so they can understand you so there's no conflict or confusion. That is a great international difference to know. Okay, let's talk about numbers real quickly because I did say we wanted to get to that. What is the proper way to say zero? Zero. Zero. Yep. Zero. Okay. How about the number one? It's one. Yep. Number two. 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 Number three. 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 Like like that green thing with the leaves. Number four. 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 Yeah. Four. Number five. Five. Fife. Yep. Like an F. Fife. Number six. No trick. Six. You said it. (laughs) Just six. Number seven. 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 Yep. No trick. Number eight. 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 Exactly. Perfect. And the big one. I'll take this one to Vinny because I know you just answered. How do you say nine? Nine. You got it. Okay. So why do we say niner instead of nine? I think it was German. Nine means no or something like that. Yeah. So Philip can confirm nine in German means no. There are actually other reasons as well. There are many theories. I've heard that nine and five sound like each other on the radio also. I've heard that that's another one. There are several other reasons. And we don't have time to go into the whole phonetic alphabet, the Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta. But we should all know that those words were created by ICAO, and they made it so that the words would be easier to pronounce in other cultures. For example, that's why we would say tree instead of three, because certain cultures might have uh, not have that TH sound in their native language. Any comments on pronunciations for alphabet or numbers? Are you guys team Foxtrot or Fox? Oh. Foxtrot. Foxtrot. I believe that's an international difference. Yeah, it's not standard, but that's how they are doing it to just minimize the call, but it's not standard. Oh, okay. Okay, now in real life, when we're flying around, do we actually say frequency one tree tree point five? Is that how pilots normally do it? Or is that, do pilots take some liberties there as well? I have to be honest. When I'm I'm feeling... You know, a little bit lighthearted, I'll say it like that, you know, just 
just to throw some um, some lightheartedness in it. I'll do the whole one tree, tree point nine or five. Yeah, I, it's almost sometimes it's a little bit of a joke when we do it, to be honest. If you know that the other speaker understands you and the radios are clear that day, we don't always do it. I just want to add in uh, to the discussion. When I'm flying, usually that's what I've noticed. When uh, when pilots are flying in their own airspace near the uh, usual airport or in their home countries, uh, they can take the liberty of using a certain non-standard uh, things. However, when you're traveling international, you want to make sure that you are to the point uh, you, are, you are doing everything as per procedure because the slightest of uh, mistake can... Uh, it can create a huge confusion. Thank you for saying that. I've always believed that if a pilot is going to take shortcuts in how they say things, they should first teach themselves how to say it correctly so that if they are traveling internationally or they're in a difficult situation with a bad radio, they can revert back to the formal, the formalities and the proper radio calls. So yeah, sometimes pilots do take shortcuts but I do believe that it is important to revert back. Let's change our conversation. We're going to have two more conversation topics before we leave. And I know the last one's going to take the longest. This is Captain Teresa. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you were one of the people being recorded, I thank you. If you were one of the people that we edited out of this recording, I beg your forgiveness. There were many reasons that this episode may have been edited, including length, audio quality, and accuracy. We don't always have the right answers. I ask you to view this as entertainment and not as a replacement for formal instruction or advice. If you want to send constructive feedback or if you have questions, feel free to contact us through our website, landingswithaflare.com. You can view announcements on our Instagram account, Landings with a Flare. You can also join our live conversations on Clubhouse in the club pilot flight training. If you got value out of this podcast, please consider subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a positive review. Wherever you are in the world, we wish you happy landings.